Welcome to Dragon Talk. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> I'm Greg Tito, and I'm making Shelly Mazanoble laugh. Yeah, as huge. As the huge. Dragon Talk. Did you listen to our outro no. last week? No. Oh, you said you were going to. I started listening to the intro, and I was like, this chick is annoying. <laughs> and I turned her off. <laughs> Ryan, is there a way that we can... You can make me a version of the podcast that only has Tito's voice. And every time I talk, it's like birds chirping or something. <laughs> he said no. No. I can't. We're not going to do it. Well, I can't listen to the podcast. Just, but I will listen to the outro because... It's pretty good. I remember what we talked about and it still makes me laugh. <laughs> it's, it's very fun stuff. Uh, so thank you to everyone who listened last week. Yes. Uh, our interview with uh, Fiona Staples uh, went crazily, but... Guess what? What? We have a new interview on this here Dragon I'm Talk. I'm excited. We are going to speak to Dan Telfer and Blaine Kapatch from Nerd Poker. Yes. They are amazing. Um, they are like pioneers of this whole D&D podcast. Thing. It's true. Yeah. You know, they were doing it a long time ago. Uh, yes. I mean, a, by a long time. I mean, like five years or but whatever. That is, but that is. Because it's so new still. It was very nascent, uh, that whole playing yeah. D&D live uh, for... Um, for video, of course, was was growing around that time, but podcasting hadn't really happened. It was basically, you know, uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, and yeah. that's about it. Yeah. Um, when Nerd Poker came on the scene, uh, so we're excited to learn about that, yeah. um, as well as their new campaign that just started. And it's exciting always when we have a guest return exactly. because we have talked to Dan before. That's true. And it's like, oh, thank yeah. God! Like they still. And he, is, he was not the dungeon master, I think, at the beginning of uh, Nerd Poker in the, in the way before times, but he has taken over and done a fantastic job in the last few years, uh, and so can't wait to, to, yep. to hear from that, um, as well as uh, all the other stand-up comedians uh, that perform you on that podcast. You think they're funny even when they play just, they just, it's, oh, just yeah. it's just natural. It's just natural for them, just yeah. like you and I, how we're just I mean, naturally it's, unentertaining. It's totally natural for us to not... <laughs> Make people laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, but yeah, you'll hear from them. Um, and then we've got a uh, Sage Advice segment uh, with Jeremy Crawford on bonus actions coming up uh, bonus in a little bit. That's Any- cool. Yeah, exactly. We're excited. What happened with you uh, this week that you might want to chat about? It's just a bunch of stuff I can't announce yet or talk about. I know. There's but a lot of that. major progress on two very exciting, cool things. Ooh. That it's going to be so fun <laughs> when you are able to talk about it it'll be so fun yeah uh that's great i've been doing the same working on a bunch of stuff that i cannot tell anyone about yep um one of those things will have occurred by the time you are able to listen to this podcast podcast listeners uh and uh i can't wait to to go into more detail on that in future episodes but it's pretty neat i know i'm very excited about those too exactly um, so what can people uh, pay attention to now for what's I think happening? that you should pay attention to Dungeon Mayhem. Dungeon Mayhem. Are you playing Dungeon Mayhem? Are Pe- you? People, are people? you playing? Because, like, you should go just grab a copy. It is never not fun. It's true. Yeah. No, people just love to jump in and, and, and grab a hold. Uh, anybody that I've introduced it to. You know, there's sometimes there's a little bit of a skeptic, you know, even on, on how good the, the artwork looks and how it brings people in. People are like, ah, that's not my style of game. And then they start playing it and they're yep. like, yes, this is my style, my style of, game. of game. Right? You know what was great was coming back from our, our holiday break. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were home with their families. Yeah. And several, 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 several people said, hey, I introduced my whole family to Dungeon Mayhem. We played Dungeon Mayhem the whole break. A lot of people are not... 
like the family might not be invested in D and D the way that we are. Right. They still played it. They still loved it. It's just a fun game. And if you do love D and D, then you're just going to appreciate it even more for what it is. But it's just a fun card game. It reminds me to a certain extent, you know, totally in a a different genre. But uh, Lords of Waterdeep was just a fun board game. Yes. You know, and it almost didn't really matter what the D and D flavor was in there. Obviously, if that if you responded to that, it was you know all in canon and made sense and was an awesome you know yes full of references back to stuff that you may know, but. You know, my wife, for example, played it just because she liked getting the perp- the, the squares and and completing the quests. You yeah. know, just doing the, the work of the, of, of the of the game and loved it for that reason. Fun game, yeah. Um, so I think Dungeon Mayhem is very similar in that regard, where like you know, yes, it all makes sense. And a lot of kids are playing it, mm-hmm. which is awesome because obviously awesome. we wanted to reach that younger audience, and it's good to see like they are on the box. It says eight and up, but. I know that there are five-year-olds who are playing it. <laughs> One of them's named Quinn. One of them's named Win Barrel. <laughs> Win Barrel. I don't. You know, that's his alias. Oh, I thought it was uh, uh, the character, the <gasps> goblin character. Oh my god! Yeah, we can't even. But oh my god! Did you see? <laughs> did you see a, a visual? No. Oh, you gotta ask Perkins to show you this. Nice. Future Quinn. There's, there's artwork for his character? Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, that's cool. Sean did it. Ah, Sean Wood. Nice. Yep. Yeah. So, um, actually, Quinn and I just played Dungeon the other day. Oh, the actual Dungeon yeah, board the game? Yeah, Dungeon board game. He likes that one a lot, too. And we played uh, Married Wizards. That was his Aww. idea. I know. And he kept going up to, to rooms and opening the door for me. He's like, I'm going to open this door for mommy. I'm going to make sure there's no monsters in here. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. He's so sweet. He's like a fighter protector already. And then he, in his heart. And then he, because, you know, kindergarten, so they're learning how to read and write. Mm-hmm. And he made me a card yesterday. <laughs> I guess he used, like, all of the words he's really good at. And it said, I see mom butt. <laughs> but it was like a beautiful picture of like a sun in a palm tree. <laughs> I see mom, but well, I mean, it, you're his sun and stars. Yep. Yeah. There you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's Thanks, it's it's a baby. moon. It's a moon. I guess. Actually. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> I see mom, butt. He's like, I didn't know how to write moms. Say so like, I see mom's butt. Oh, I'm so like, you're just like mom, butt. I think it's just better to say mom, butt. Hmm? It's, it's a thing, like a dad bod. <laughs> I, got, I got mom butt. Is it like mom jeans? The like yeah. SNL. Yeah, uh, if you uh, wear mom thing? jeans, then you probably have mom butt. <laughs> and you would love Dungeon Mayhem. <laughs> Bringing it back. <laughs> Very cool. Yep. Um, are you playing in any D and D things? I keep asking. Wanting you to get into my uh, West Seattle game, seeing as you're wearing a West Seattle T-shirt there. Represent. What's up, West Seattle blog? Um, I. <laughs> Who did an awesome article. They did. We should invite them to come to our office. They may be coming on Monday. Oh, stop right now. Yeah, they are. I, really? I'm confirming that live on the air. It's true. Do you know that the West Seattle blog is actually really famous and well-known nationwide in terms I, of like neighborhood blogs? I did not know that until uh, the context of what's happening on Monday. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're familiar. I'm like, whoa. Oh, okay. They know everything. They know everything. They probably know we're talking about them right now. They, they're already writing an article about it. <laughs> <laughs> they know it before it happens. It's true. Like if I hear a helicopter 
in my neighborhood. I'm like, oh my god, get on the block. Why is there why, why is there a helicopter over here? They tell you right. And they're already on it. So what we're talking about is a uh, uh, a blog, uh, but it's basically treated like a local news yeah. uh, affiliate to a certain extent. Like they just they they cover things in real time. They cover it like a local newspaper yes. with businesses. If there's any uh, incidents that happen in our our neighborhood, uh, it's always reported there first. Uh, yes, and even um, uh, you know. I don't want to go into too much details, but like I had a, a police report that I made and they were like, go check the, the West Seattle blog uh, for more information on it. I'm like, oh, even you guys are referring to it. Like, that's crazy. Really? Yeah. I'm wow. Like, that I'm is like, amazing. That's insane. So, uh, yeah. West uh, Seattle. Why were we up. talking about that? Because you're going to play D&D in West Seattle. I do want to. It's just hard to do it on a week and evening. Like it's it's hard to do it like in a time like during like any kind of twenty four hour period really, during the day. It's actually just hard. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I don't know why it is, but I don't know. It's an adulting thing. I, it gets. It is hard. Uh, so I, I, I hear but you. I want to. I would like to play in a game, but we do have our betrayal legacy game. Right. So we have our quality time. That is rocking and rolling. Uh, even though my character just perishes all the time. Mine does too. I went back and looked at my history on. You write your history on the back of your character cards, yeah. and I'm like, "Oh, I, she's died every time." It's mostly due to Pelham's character, who has, I think, shot me with both a gun and a crossbow. Pelham is kind of crazy and evil, <laughs> but in a good way. Mm, yeah, ah. yeah, it's always the nice one. It's the horror uh, theme of Betrayal Legacy. I just like that we have now a, like a history. Like it's not just no, yeah, it's, you know, oh, that thing happened in that one session. And you and go back and, and reference your history. And I also like that our Betrayal game started with real life betrayal with Nathan taking Kate Welch's spot. Like betrayed Kate Welch. He betrayed her. Exactly. He tricked me into keeping him. He was supposed to just sub for her. Right. And he claims I didn't make that clear. And then he was and then he put was the flag like, in. He's like I well, am I'm your boss. So. And uh I'm in. It's true. It's true. But uh, speaking of uh, <laughs> betrayal, uh, as well as Kate Welch, uh, she had an awesome new show uh, debut uh, in the last week. It is uh, Welch's Game Juice. Yep. It is on our Twitch channel, uh, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Thursdays. She'll be playing through Baldur's Gate. Love it. Uh, the first Baldur's Gate game, uh, the enhanced edition uh, that uh, Beamdog came out with uh, in the recent past uh, that makes it playable on, on modern machines and updates the UI a little bit. But it's been super fun. Um, the first episode uh, made me laugh multiple, multiple yeah, times. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I would watch Kate watch Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> And I would just be like, this is the best show ever. It's true. She definitely uh, commanded the presence uh, very well. She's just the best. She's the best. Uh, So if you're interested in learning more about uh, Baldur's Gate in general, uh, you know, it it was a very, you know, uh, groundbreaking game, I would say, uh, in 1998 when it came out. Um, Mm -hmm. And it still has a lot of value now and and definitely through the lens. Of Kate Welch playing it, it's even more fun. It's one of the the games that when people talk about D and D and like, oh, I used to play. They always yeah. mention Baldur's Gate. I know. Even uh, uh, president of Wizards of the Coast, uh, Chris Cox, yeah. uh, he often cites that Baldur's Gate was his, you know, his first real introduction to playing uh, a D and D video game. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and 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 he loves that experience for it. I would have played, but I wasn't alive. Then. I wasn't even born yet <laughs> in 1998. It's true. Happy 19th birthday. <laughs> Uh, next week, <laughs> you're getting younger and younger. Are you quaffing so potions weird. of longevity back yes, there? Yes, you know it. Mm-hmm. What kind of sorcery is happening here? That's what you have in your D and D mug is uh, potions of longevity. Yes, I'm going to be just a baby 
probably next week. <laughs> oh, you're Benjamin buttoning it? Yes. <laughs> and then I go right back up. <laughs> and then I go right back down. You're dead. I don't know. That was, that was you as a hag for yeah. some reason. I just, I kill you. I don't know what the <laughs> bending, <laughs> bending of a, finger. it's like a, a oh, murder. Because witches have crooked little fingers. And red rum, red rum. Oh, that still scares me. <laughs> Even just me saying that. It really know. does. And I will never say, um, That's now right. I can't, bloody, bloody Mary. Oh no, you just said it. Not three times. Ooh. In a mirror. Wait, what did you say? I'll, ma- I'll make you say it don't. three times and then, uh It's got to be in a row. I guess that's true. That's not happening. Um, you know what is going to be happening pretty soon? Tell me. A uh, stage advice segment uh, where we listen to Jamie Crawford talk about bonus actions. I feel like we haven't done that in a while. We did, uh, but we're getting back into the swing of it because Fridays oh are, are, are the time for all that. So uh, Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, so that was one thing I wanted to, to mention also. Yes. Our new time. Yes. But it seems like there's some new shows. Yeah, there are. There's like a whole. So you got to get up on, on the Twitters or on the D&D website. To find because twitch.tv slash dnd. We have a lot of we have a schedule up there. So many good new shows. There is, and we moved around. And we moved around some of the the existing shows. And there will be more coming up. So Rivals of Waterdeep just had their season three premiere uh, uh, last weekend. See them back. Uh, Fantastic new new dungeon master uh, Sharif Jackson is taking over, uh, which is super cool because it was like uh, the first time he played Dungeons and Dragons. Really was in prepping for. Uh, their appearance at the stream of any eyes. Honest, so. I just don't understand how people are just like, oh, sure, I'll play D&D for the first time live <laughs> in front of thousands of people. Yeah, some people like it. It's, uh, it totally works, but it's good to see the, this new generation. Uh, 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 Sharif take on that mantle. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it, I haven't been able to watch it through yet, but it's, it's by all accounts, it rocked. Um, and then, yeah, we have a, a you know, D&D Rewind I started doing on uh, D&D News this week where a uh, three or four minute long video about recapping best moments from live play shows over the last week. Oh, that's so, no, that's look so for that, cool. Look for that on YouTube uh, on its own. But D&D it's, Rewind? It's called D&D Rewind. And I we'll, love that. I'll be showing it off uh, here on the D&D channel all the time, but definitely during D&D News is when we'll premiere the oh, new one Oh, that's the week. a really good idea. Yeah, because there's always fun special moments from all different And from groups. Like Dragon Talk, especially. Yeah, we're starting, I think, with the live play shows, but eventually we'll bring in more oh, of stuff real? from us. Uh, really? And, or, you know, studio shows as well totally as kidding. around the, the, the rest of the That uh, is such a good idea. Yeah. Well done. Check it out. Shout out to Steve Sprinkles for, uh, for editing that. Thank you, us. Steve Sprinkles. Doing good stuff. Yeah. All right. Let's listen to uh, my conversation with Jeremy Crawford on bonus actions starting right about... Welcome to another segment of Sage Advice. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Mr. Jeremy Crawford. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Rocking and rolling on this Friday afternoon. I am working on several different secret D&D projects. Oh, those are the best. Yeah. The yeah. best well, secret D&D projects we, ever. We continue to be in that window of time where we... We're working on a bunch of things, none of which we've announced. Exactly. <laughs> so we get to feel like super spies. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Uh, but what we can tell you about on this segment where we dive into uh, the rules, you know, common rules questions about Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition as well as the thinking behind those rules. Um, and today's topic where we can delve into is uh, bonus action and the timing thereof. Yeah, I, I think in the past we've talked about bonus actions on this show, uh, but I wanted us to dig a little deeper into the specific timing 
of everyone's favorite little something extra on <laughs> their turn in combat, the right. bonus action. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's important because I think, uh, you know, when so much about uh, D&D is about like that combat round, Right, it can. There's just all these weird corner cases that can sometimes pop up and and uh, are, are not covered by the general understanding. You know, right, it's a very simple kind of idea. You have an action, you have a move, and then sometimes you have a bonus. Yes, and so anyone uh, listening who doesn't know what a bonus action is, mm-hmm. it is as the name implies. It's a it's a extra action you get beyond the regular one, and. The thing that's really important to always remember about a bonus action is you don't have one until something in the game tells you you do. This is sometimes a little confusing for people who come to 5th edition from previous editions of the game where you might have had, you know, like a standard action on your turn, a swift action or a minor action, a move action, you know, etc. Whereas in 5th, you just have an action, you just have a move. And then sometimes... A thing will come along and say, hey, you get to do something extra special on this round. Now, many characters in the game don't have any bonus actions at all. So you can just take your turn, move, action, and you're done. And that was very much an intentional part of the design because playtest feedback told us over and over and over again in the D&D Next process, people want combat to go as quickly as possible. And so we didn't want... Every round, people thinking, well, did I do something with my minor action, with my move action, with my standard action? We want to just like, you move, you do something. Yeah. The end. Or you do something and you move. Or you move a little bit, you do something, and then you move some more because also we we gave you total flexibility by being able to uh, break your movement up uh, throughout your turn. I've definitely played with players from previous editions uh, who would do it. They're the main thing. And then ask the table, be like, oh, is there, is there anything I can do with my minor or, or other things? And then you're right, that would just slow down combat so much. Uh, and because they were so prevalent in the, the character builds that people would be playing, you know, if you didn't perform a minor action, sometimes you felt like you were penalized right. by, by, by doing that. So mm-hmm. um, I love that 5th edition streamlined that so that it really is a bonus action. You, you don't necessarily get anything and you don't have to constantly think each round, am I doing something with my bonus action? Right. Now, there is a class, and, and I think really this class in a way is the poster child of the bonus action, and that is the rogue. Mm-hmm. The rogue is the class who has the bonus action built into it in a really important way, and that comes in at second level with the feature cunning action. As soon as a rogue gets cunning action, every single round in combat, they get a bonus action. Uh, And it's also important for people who might be fuzzy on how bonus actions work that if you do get one, you can only take one on your own turn. Mm. This is distinct from, say, a reaction, which you can take any time in a round, whether it's your turn or not, as long as the trigger for the reaction is satisfied. Bonus actions only can be taken on your own turn. So once the rogue gets it, rogues get to use that bonus action to take the dash action, the disengage action, or the hide action. Each of those actions normally gobble up your entire action, but the rogue can take one of those three actions with their bonus action, leaving then their their sort of their grown-up action uh, <laughs> to do something else. 
which could even be the exact same thing. Like sometimes a rogue will move and then with cunning action, dash, and then with the regular action, dash again. Mm -hmm. Uh, So rogues, you know, uh, can be very tricksy, very flexible. And that was a key part of the design that we were going for with the rogue. Now, this gets to the question of timing. Yeah. When on the rogue's turn can they take their cunning action? The bonus action rules give us an answer, and that is if a bonus action doesn't have a specific timing built into it, mm-hmm. you can take it any time you want on your turn. So you, before the move, after the move, before your attack, for example, or after your attack, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You decide. And so the rogue's cunning action ability doesn't provide any timing at all in it. It just says on your turn, you get to take a bonus action, meaning the, the rogue player gets to decide when this bonus action occurs on their, ter- on their turn. Mm-hmm. Now, here I'll give an example, though, where timing is specified. And so for that, I'm going to flip in my player's handbook to the description of the monk. Because sometimes, and I, I want to bring up some examples, because sometimes I get asked, well, what's an example of timing? You right. know, when, when does a bonus action tell me when I need to take it? All right. Here's, a, here's an example uh, in... Uh, the monk first actually of one that's just like the rogue and that is step of the wind you can spend one key point to take the disengage or dash action as a bonus action on your turn just like cunning action the monk player can decide whenever they want on their turn to use step of the wind but here is an example of timing that is specific Mm -hmm. flurry of blows Immediately after you take the attack action on your turn, you can spend one key point to make two unarmed strikes as a bonus action. Here, the the timing is very clear. It has to be immediately after you take the attack action. Uh, And that doesn't mean you can sort of say, well, I intend to take the attack action this turn. Could I maybe do these before? No, it's, Mm. it's very clear immediately after. Right. Uh, and also, that imme- word immediately here is also important because what that means is you can't take the attack action, maybe do a bunch, maybe do some other things in there. Yeah, you can't move, for and, example. And, right, and then you have your uh, bonus action. No, immediately after that attack, you can flurry. And thematically, it is boom, 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 boom. Like you're supposed to be like, you know, you have uh, a volume of attacks that you can certainly do and you just... It must be all at once, though. It can't be split up. Right. Yep. And, you're, and suddenly it is this, this blur of, of fists, Bruce yeah. Lee style. Yes. Uh, now, there is also a bonus action hanging out in the rules that anyone can try to use as long as you are wielding uh, two weapons and each of those weapons has the light property. Mm-hmm. That gives you access to the two-weapon fighting bonus action that is in the game's combat rules. So there it says, when you take the attack action and attack with a light melee weapon that you're holding in one hand, you can use a bonus action to attack with a different light melee weapon that you're holding in the other hand. Some people will sometimes read this and think, is there timing? There is. Mm-hmm. Because it says, when you take the attack action and attack with a light melee weapon that you're holding. 
In other words, that use of the attack action has to happen before that bonus action occurs. Oh, okay. Because, again, our game, uh, and this was something I mentioned actually earlier in the week on uh, Dragon Plus, mm-hmm. our, can- our, our game doesn't have a sort of a phase in combat where you declare what your intent is going to be. Our rules care about, about what actually happens in combat, not what you hope is going to happen. And the reason why that's important in our system is at any moment in combat, you could be interrupted. Mm. Because our system has reactions, and many of our monsters have reactions, a monster could suddenly do something that deprives you of your ability to take actions, meaning you never even take this attack action that is a precondition for this bonus action that you're about to take. Right. So, so even, even when you see something like when you take the attack action, that is much a statement of timing as the far more precise one we saw in Flurry of Blows where it says immediately after. Uh, now, the difference here is you notice two-weapon fighting doesn't say it has to be immediately after that first attack. What this means is simply... You need to take the attack action on your turn using one of the weapons. Then, at any point thereafter on your turn, you can take this other bonus action. So there you do have a little bit of flexibility. Hmm. Once that precondition is met, then from then till the end of your turn, you can drop in the bonus action. That's interesting because I don't think a lot of players uh, who use uh, two-weapon fighting really take advantage of that. Uh, because it is perfect for positioning and, and, and all that, uh, uh, especially even after, uh, say, defeating one monster with the first attack and then being able to move to advance on another one and use your second attack. Uh, but that makes it even easier, you know? Exactly. And that, that flexibilityism is intentional mm-hmm. so that you can fell one, you know, one of the goblins and then maybe if you have movement left, get over to that other one and take them out too. Exactly. So, yeah, I love that you're, you're, you're taking away and giving, uh, you know, advantages as well with, with this conversation. <laughs> right, right. And, and again, everyone should keep in mind the idea is you have control about bonus action timing entirely on your turn except for the specific ways a rule might limit it. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that just to drive home that people shouldn't add extra limits. Like the two-weapon fighting rule doesn't say that second attack must be immediately after the first one. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't say it has to be, it doesn't have to be. It just needs to be sometime after. And and our rules are generally very lenient until that very moment when they're not. Right. Uh, and again, it's, it's important for DMs and players to not imagine extra restrictions there that are not actually in the rules. And that's, I think that's a common theme in how you respond to uh, folks on Twitter when they're asking questions like that, where you're like, yes, and it is said so exactly at this point. You know, we're like, these are the words. When the words come together in this way, this is what they mean. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and this is a perfect example where it's like, just, just listen and, and comprehend uh, if you can, uh, you know, how the care and, and energy that you guys put to make sure that uh, uh, a lot of these cases could be adjudicated. Right, right. By what's written as is not what you imagine is the rule. Right. And often I will get asked sometimes not only about the timing of a bonus action but many other things in the rule. People will ask me, is it this way for balance reasons? Now, that's always kind of a loaded question, mm-hmm. partly because 
almost everyone means something different when they say the word balance. Right. Uh, in, in game design, there is not actually a universally shared definition for what balance means. What balance means can change from game to game depending on, you know, is it a game that has symmetrical balance versus asymmetrical balance? Are we talking about uh, people having equal opportunities to shine? Are we talking about people having identical damage output? Are we talking about comparing resilience? Or, or trying to uh, remove um, uh, specific combinations of rules that could be advantageous? Like a lot of people think that's what balance means. Right. And, and so that's why it, it's often difficult for me to answer questions about uh, balance without first understanding what the questioner means by the word balance. But going back to this topic, I do get asked sometimes, is, is the timing of bonus actions in the rules, is it all there for balance reasons? And mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think usually when I'm asked that question, I'm being asked, well, if I as a DM lifted the restriction, am I going to break the game? I can't give a general answer to that because the specific timing we give, our reasons for doing that timing are different for every single bonus action feature. Mm. What I can say is a common theme in our timing decisions, not only with bonus actions, but also things like reactions, is to make the play experience as smooth as possible. We want to make it so that it's clear when you can do a thing and then make that thing resolve quickly and get it off stage as quickly as possible. And so sometimes we will make decisions mostly motivated by keeping the game moving more than we're worried about somebody doing too much damage or you know having uh, too many hit points or too high of an AC. Often it's much more we don't want this game to get completely bogged down by all of these different sort of if-then statements coming in from the rules and you having to process, well, which of these conditional things happens first. We like it to be very straightforward. And it's, wh- it's why... Uh, we limit things like bonus actions to only one on your turn. Why we limit reactions to, you know, once you take one, you can't take another one until the start of your next turn. Because otherwise they would chain and chain and chain yeah. until and things everything just, would slow down. Exactly. Yeah. And that, in some ways, you know, uh, uh, the pace of the game being a goal, you know, uh, having a character do a massive amount of damage increases the pace because then <laughs> yes. the fight is now done and you can move on to, to a different uh, uh, challenge. Right. Now... It, people, people who value high damage output, and I say that because uh, it's important to remember that different players value different things about their characters. True. Some people value their character be, having high survivability far more than they value dealing a lot of damage. Still other players value way more the ability to help their friends, whether it's through healing or buffing or just making them laugh, right. than they ever value how much damage do they deal or how much damage can they take. Uh, and now I completely lost where I was going with that. Well, let me ask you a question. <laughs> uh, it might, might derail you even further, but uh, get to spellcasting. Uh, yes. So, so bonus actions, I think, are a big part of the reason why um, some spells have more versatility and, and usefulness in combat versus others. So I'm thinking of Healing Word, for example. Right. Is one of the, um, my favorite healing spell because you can do that while still uh, uh, performing your main action for the round. And... Bonus action spells are a great example of bonus actions in the game where you get to decide when it happens on your turn because Mm -hmm. there's no timing specified. It's just, hey, 
You can cast the spell as a bonus action. It means any time on your turn, you can unleash, unleash its magic. And, and it is also, it's something extra. Yeah. Uh, and that is, that, that is the advantage of something like Healing World, Word, as you said. Because Cure Wounds, which gobbles up your whole action, is a more potent healing spell, but Healing Word doesn't take your whole action. Exactly. So when you really desperately need to do more than one thing on your turn, that bonus action spell is particularly valuable. Now, as a side note, one of the rules that often trips people up is the rule on bonus action spells that if you cast one on your turn, you can't cast any other spells unless the other spells are uh, cantrip with a casting time of one action. Mm-hmm. I, get, I get asked, in fact, even today on Twitter I got asked, <laughs> why does that rule exist and why does it pertain only to bonus action spells? That was something we put into the game fairly late in the development, honestly because we were afraid of – uh, with the introduction of bonus action spells, uh, too much complexity piling up on a spellcaster's turn. Mm. And <clears throat> we wanted to make it that if you were doing that something extra with spellcasting, because spells tend to be the most complex things in the game, we didn't want you to then, you know, I cast this bonus action spell that might might be a little complex. And then I bring in this full action spell. It's also complex. That's, you know, a six-level full action spell that's like, you know, crazy complicated. And everyone gets to watch me take my turn for 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so that rule largely exists to keep the game moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was... It was a way for us to future-proof because we didn't know in future books, you know, what we might decide to design and assign, you know, when we got to that spell's casting time, assign bonus action to it. We just wanted to make it like whatever we designed for the life of this edition, if you cast a bonus action spell, the only other, th- only other spell that you could cast on your turn is a cantrip uh, to just keep, keep things simple, keep things straightforward. Um, but because this is an exception-based game, though, too, you know, that also, you know, the rules in place um, allows you to, and I'm not saying you would, should, or would do this, but, you know, say a spell could be written that uh, breaks that rule, that says this spell, you know, you are able to cast both a bonus action spell and a main action spell, and then that would increase the value of that spell. Oh, for, sure. For a versatile spellcaster. Or, or we could build something like that into a class feature. Right. Um, that is the beauty of an exce- exceptions-based game is that we always have the liberty of breaking our own rules. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then hopefully that would be uh, uh, something that uh, would not be done all the time. Uh, right. Yeah, you know, but it yeah. would be a special moment that could allow that spellcaster to, to chant. I'm thinking of almost like a Doctor Strange type level of thing where he's doing this, but he's also doing this at the same time. And you would want to make that feel really special. But yeah. it would only feel special if you had that rule in place. Right. And and here's the thing. Thankfully, uh, even with the bonus action rule in place, I often see uh, sorcerers in particular in play mm. feeling special when, pardon me, they take uh, – they use the uh, quicken spell metamagic option to turn something into a bonus action spell. Right. And again, just that feeling of, of that something extra – uh, I've often seen sorcerer players their their you know their eyes sort of glimmering as they they figured out this awesome combo on their own turn because they used quicken spell and they turned uh, one of their spells into a bonus action spell. So and it also is, dealing lots of damage with their cantrip spell. <laughs> yes, on that same turn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because uh, uh, it 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 is also easy to forget just how juicy many cantrips are, especially as you get up to higher levels. Yeah, uh, it. 
I mean, some of them can uh, be really uh, significant in terms of the amount of damage they deal. Some of them also have, uh, at every level, uh, amazing utility. Uh, you know, a spell like Mage Hand never goes out of style. And I probably have seen more story pivotal things done with spells like Mage Hand than I have with any uh, particular damage spell. And Minor Illusion yes. as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, where people figure out you know, wonderfully clever things to do with their uh, utility magic. Exactly. <clears throat> so is there any, uh, you know, uh, a guiding light you can give to folks who uh, have questions about bonus actions and how they can use and comment? Like, is there like a rule of thumb you kind of always use as a dungeon master that allows just the yeah. pace of the game to, to progress? Yeah, I think the the main one when it comes to, to timing is just remember if a bonus action says nothing at all about something else that must occur, uh, you know, it doesn't say anything about this one thing happens immediately after another. If it just says, hey, you have this bonus action and you can take it on your turn, the player gets to decide when that happens. Mm-hmm. Or the DM gets to decide if it's a monster with a bonus action. Right. But a little behind the scenes thing, we rarely give monsters bonus actions and that's on purpose uh, because <clears throat> the DM already has a plenty – to manage, and we have found that often if we put a bonus action in a monster, the DM forgets it's there. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into a little bit of feel-bad design where maybe after the session, the DM glances at the stat block and realizes, oh, goodness, this creature had this bonus action they could have been using every round, and I forgot to have them do it. And it also adds more... Um, <clears throat> Uh, weight, I suppose, to the creatures that have layer actions and other such things, basically giving them their own bonus action, but it's something that is more thematic and tells the story. Like they're, they're that much more powerful when they're in their home turf. Exactly. And things like layer actions and legendary actions, which are very similar to bonus actions in terms of sort of game design theme being that they're that something extra. Mm-hmm. They are a better user experience for a DM than a bonus action is because they're so prominent in the stat block and they are, as you say, expressing the the narrative theme of this very special and often very scary uh, monster. Exactly. I, uh, I wanted to actually bring up another uh, example or two of bonus action timing. Sure. Especially ones that uh, – spark debates uh, online. Uh, One uh, that has sparked a number of debates uh, is a bonus action that's in the uh, shield master feat. Mm. And and here, I'll test you about what what is the timing of this bonus action. All right. It says, if you take the attack action on your turn, you can use a bonus action to try to shove a creature within five feet of you with your shield. If you take uh, the attack action on your turn, you can use a bonus action to shove a creature within five feet of you with your shield. I say you could do that any time <clears throat> after you have taken the attack action. Exactly. Uh, there, there have been uh, a variety of <laughs> arguments back and forth, uh, unfortunately spurred by a somewhat... Um, uh, clipped tweet I did several years ago. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. I, it was, I, I read it afterward, and it's like, I don't even remember tweeting this. Mm-hmm. And so I've told people 
online. Like, like disregard oh, disregard that tweet. I deleted it. Did you like send it before you thought you were, you were finished or something? I like am that? not sure. There have been a few times where I've answered. I've made the mistake of answering rules questions like in the in the line at Trader Joe's, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and sometimes like if the the teller is talking to me or you know I'm I'm getting text messages and I'm tweeting at rules and oh, sometimes that does not turn out well. So the, I actually I I've made a personal policy. I no longer do that because I love f- that image of of Jeremy Crawford like. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like you, you press send in that line, and then a million D and D rules nerds you know, cry it out in, in, in pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The few the few times I have I have retracted one of my uh, rulings on Twitter and uh, said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Ignore that whole tweet. Yeah. I'll delete it." I think every single time it's been a circumstance like that. I was at, I was in, you know, in the line at a grocery store, or I might have been waiting for somebody. At a bar and was even you know partway through a drink. <laughs> it's like so now it's like I I only answer rules questions if I'm at my desk at work or I'm you know quietly at home with my D and D books nearby. That's so amazing. I, so I am in the right state of mind. <laughs> uh, so with Shieldmaster, uh, uh, to get back to it, yes, indeed, your answer was correct. You get an A on the test, Woo! Greg. Nice. Uh, the the attack action has to happen on your turn uh, before you can do this bonus action. But uh, you can move in between there, so that's important, a- right? Absolutely, because this does not have that uh, immediately after bit. Uh, it also doesn't specify that the creature you shove is even a creature you attacked with that attack action. So again, I bring that up to to drive home for people. There's still a lot of flexibility in a bonus action uh, that might have one of these preconditions as this one does. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, you, you use your attack action attacking whomever or whatever, and then you can take this bonus action anytime thereafter on your turn uh, against really a creature of your choice. And uh, that, I mean, like the feats are designed to do, it just gives more options to a, a melee combatant player, you know, so that, you know, it doesn't just feel like, all right, I can attack and then bash with a shield and then that's all I do. You're like, no, you can actually make a, a you know, not necessarily cinematic, but like that idea of, of a tactical maneuver that a, a, a fighter or a melee combatant should, should really have yeah. to, to get that flavor out. Now, now this option in particular, there are, there are, I must say, a number of people really wishing that they could, they could use this bonus action and then take their attack action because if you do it that way, you essentially, if you knock the person prone you then have advantage on all of your attack rolls against them if you're attacking uh, within five feet. Mm. But the, that was not the intent of, of this feat. Uh, we very intentionally did not design it to work that way uh, because otherwise we might as well have just said, and you have advantage on all your attack rolls, which was not the intent. Uh, this was, you know, you, you, you whack somebody and then you decide to knock somebody else down or the same person down who you were just attacking and then if they don't get up on your subsequent turn, you, will have adva- you can have advantage on your attack rolls against them. And even more importantly, your buddies are going to have advantage on their melee attack rolls against them, again, if those attacks are within five feet of the person. And in my, my Twitter talk about this feat in particular, I've, lo- I've loved to really drive home the fact that features like this shield master bonus action, but many others in the game as well, are not only there to be satisfying to the person who uses them, 
they're often there to also set up combos with your friends right. uh, because D&D at its heart is a co-op game and there can be such an amazing satisfaction when different characters' abilities interlock and you really felt like you were working as a team. And that's an experience we strive for in our design. Mm-hmm. Uh, we not only want each person to feel like they have a moment in the spotlight, but we want the group to feel like it's in the spotlight. That, hey, we came together as this well-oiled machine and took down this fight. Sometimes many D- – well, actually, a lot of the time a D&D group is not a well-oiled machine but <laughs> still manages to work together and pull something off spectacular. Yeah. Well, what, And what I like about this design uh, differently than other editions was that when um, those type of push and pull type things would happen in the uh, – you know, when, when you're dealing with a grid and things like that and all of the bonus actions that happened in uh, previous editions, there, so much of the conversation around thing would be like, well, if you do X, then I can do this. And there was this almost negotiation that happened between players, not characters, about how to best win the board game. Right. And I like this because it just means I can do this thing and then if anybody can take advantage of that, and literally the mechanic is called advantage. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, I think it just makes it feel so much more streamlined and mm-hmm. the pace you know, continues where it doesn't get bogged down in, you know, player to player negotiation, and and, and that is that is ever our goal. Yeah, uh, to really make it easy for people to have a good time and to work together and to feel good about that collaboration at the table, whether it's the players collaborating and their dis- their tactical decision making, or it's the characters coming together in the story. Uh, to pull off uh, some great feat. Yeah, and I love that, you know, if, 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 a, if a player does this uh, or, you know, uh, their character does this, that there's an in-character statement or something that says, I can knock him down, now it's your time to, to, to do this, you know, yep. uh, and, and keep that flowing. And, and again, this makes it feel like that's way more possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, any other uh, uh, timing examples? Uh, uh, that come up often? Uh, a couple things I would bring up in closing uh, is, and it, it's only loosely tied to timing, uh, but sometimes people wonder, can they, can they uh, take a bonus action option as an action? Uh, like, hey, you know, I have this ability where it says I can do blah, blah, blah as a bonus action. Could I use my action to do that thing instead? Mm-hmm. The answer is no. We designed bonus actions to always just be bonus actions. Huh. Uh, they're, they're not meant to, you're not meant to sort of have this currency, you know, where you're, you're swapping your actions around. Uh, but, but honestly, that, how would that affect the rules if you were doing a bonus action as a, as a regular action? So in some cases, it won't affect the rules at all. Uh, the, the bonus actions where it would be safest for a DM to allow them to be used as an action are the ones that have no timing specified. Uh, those in, you know, nine times out of ten, you're going to see no ripple effect in your game in terms of sort of negative play experience consequences. It's the bonus actions that have really specific timing uh, often would not translate right uh, into a full-fledged action. Uh, because we wrote them as this little something extra writing on this other thing happening. I see. Uh, but the ones that, yeah, have no timing specified, most of the time if a DM says, yeah, fine, if you really for whatever reason want to cast healing word using your full action, knock yourself out. Mm. 
Um, I mean, I guess because then it just becomes semantics. Really. Yeah. It's like what, yeah. you're, you're doing the thing as a bonus action, but it doesn't affect anything else in the combat rules. So it doesn't really matter. Maybe you can call it your standard action, but it really doesn't matter. Right. And um, now one of the main reasons why I advise against doing, doing that kind of swapping of taking one of your bonus actions but using your full action to do that bonus action thing uh, – I recommend not doing it mostly because it could just slow the game down. Because if, if you suddenly start uh, deconstructing the game in that way, mm. where you're trying to kind of eke out every bit of tactical optimization, you really risk leeching out the narrative oomph at the table. Mm. Where suddenly, instead of thinking about the awesome story that's unfolding, this, you know, it might be this life or death battle you're having with a black dragon if instead you're fretting about how to exchange one action you know a bonus action for an action or vice versa you know god you know <laughs> that could that could become very technical and rather than it being a story you're a, it's almost like you're looking you're no longer looking at this uh, beautiful building instead you're looking at scaffolding yeah, and and that's that's also a thing we always want to avoid because we want the focus to be on the exciting story, and so for me, I often encourage people just run it the way it's written, not again out of any anxiety that oh my god the game's going to break or you're quote unquote doing it wrong. It's no, actually, it's because I want people to relax. <laughs> it's like basically let the rules handle the you know the all the crunchy stuff and just get back to the story you're telling uh, because I find that the more groups get caught up in the infrastructure, often the more the story starts fading into the distance. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the game, it's like rather than having you know those great stories that so many of us have at the end of a session about the crazy thing that happened today in, in our game of D&D, Instead, it's like, well, what do we have? Well, we talked about the action economy. <laughs> like, and, and right. you know, I enjoy that kind of conversation, but I'm a game designer and I'm also a big gaming nerd. But as much as I enjoy that kind of discussion, that's not why I sit down to play D&D. It's a very different uh, right brain, left brain type of, uh, you know, satisfying Thing that's happening yeah. when that occurs. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's good yeah. advice all around. And uh, I am very happy to trust uh, you and the rest of the wonderful designers who have put all the time and energy in testing this uh, edition and making it sing the way it has. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I want to I concentrate on the story, too. <laughs> that makes good sense. Uh, the one other bit, because uh, I said there were two. There were two. Uh, is uh, object interactions. Hmm. Sometimes people... Uh, will mistake the free little object interaction you get on each of your turns for a bonus action. It is not. Uh, In the combat rules, we let you know that on your turn, you get this thing we call a free object interaction. And that can be drawing your sword, opening a door, uh, swigging back some ale from a tanker that might be in your hand. Whatever it is, you can do it during your move or during your action and I often, since uh, I used to spend a lot of time, especially in my youth as an actor on stage, I think of that free object interaction as stage business. Yeah. You know, you get on e- you know, each of your little scenes, you get a little bit of free stage business. Uh, and then if you, want more, if you want to do more than one bit of stage business, you're going to have to spend your action on it uh, using usually the use an object uh, uh, action, uh, which is also in the combat rules. 
But that little interaction should not be confused with the bonus action. It doesn't use your bonus action up. Uh, and also, sometimes I've seen people think that, well, we all have a bonus action to do that little bit of stage business. That's not actually the case. Um, rogue, uh, rogues who have the thief subclass, they have that as an mm. option. Uh, but other characters do not. What about um, crying? Is that a free action? <laughs> I would, so I would let tears stream down your cheeks, <laughs> uh, not requiring any action at all. Okay. And, and I also would not have it consume your object interaction. Excellent. Yeah. All right. It is, it is just part of the tapestry of your narrative. Yeah. And I'm, I am, because I'm in a good mood today, I'm going to think it, it's because your character is crying tears of joy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy that this black dragon is melting my face off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not because you're in horrible agony or yeah. just all your hopes have just shattered. Just shattered. Yeah. Uh, we're, of course, talking about the Black Dragon because we have a, a, a WizKids Black Dragon uh, plaque that we recently uh, have in the office that looks amazing. Yeah, so that just the present of, presence of that plaque, I think, incepted me yes. to be thinking of Black Dragons. I immediately, when you said Black Dragon, I was like the first image that popped in my hand, and I hope a lot more people uh, you know, are able to pick that up and do the same. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, any way people can get in touch with you on Twitter uh, to ask you more about bonus action timing? Uh, I am at Jeremy E. Crawford on Twitter. And uh, if I get back to you about bonus action timing, I promise not to do it in the line at Trader Joe's. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, and the E stands for action economy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it in fact stands for Eric, my middle name. I know, I know, but we can change it. We can <laughs> economy <laughs> is where it's at. Thank you so much, as always, uh, Jeremy, for for coming in to chat about this stuff. Oh, my pleasure. I love it. All right, thanks, you guys. We'll be back next week with another segment. That was a really good segment. Talking to Jeremy, always, always is. I. Love that we will basically when we're planning out these segments, we'll be like, well, we'll talk for that as much as we can, and then that ends up being you know forty minutes. But it's always brain dump, good stuff. It's always great stuff, yeah. Because I hear the thought process behind all of uh, the rules that are in the player's handbook, and yes. I think people get a kick and out of that. It's very thoughtful. It is very thoughtful, yeah. and it goes through all of uh, the thought processes along the way. I just don't know that, like, maybe someone who's not definitely doesn't work in game design mm-hmm. and maybe someone who's not as entrenched in the community knows like just like your your regular average person probably doesn't think this much thought goes into rules game rules definitely but it, there's so much there is so much and people don't realize how many iterations there are you know i think the play test uh for D next was a clue yes. into that to a certain extent but there were so many iterations that occurred uh, leading up to the ones that were released to the public right. that you didn't even see. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is fascinating. Playtest is fascinating. Playtesting is fascinating. You've been doing some of that, haven't you? I have. For things. For things. It's always your favorite part of the job, I think. I love it. Yeah. Getting I the do. feedback. Mm-hmm. Is there like good feedback versus like feedback that you're like, oh, I can't really do anything with that piece of information? I will tell you that that is 100% true. Now, Sometimes people don't want to play test because they feel like, oh, I don't know enough about game design to give you good feedback. I'm mm. like, you're exactly the kind of people we want to play test, especially if it's meant to be like a, a casual party game. You're exactly who we want. Yeah. Did you have fun? Did you understand the rules? 
Did it make sense to you? Yes, yes, yes. Great, that's excellent feedback. And some people get confused and they maybe lost and that that mars their experience. Mm. Or it's like they literally didn't have a good hand and then they're like, well, this game, this is poop. Oh, yeah. So, like, you have to be, like, that's not constructive. Like, that's just, like, you didn't, you, you didn't have good cards. Well, Sorry. right, or the roll of the dice <laughs> but, didn't go your way. Right. So like, that's not like okay. a badly designed game when that yeah, happens. Yeah, like you, you rolled low on your attack. That's not, the game's not broken. Right. That's not like, a, that's not what we're looking for. I'm, I'm sorry that you lost or your player died. <laughs> right. Or your I character mean, died. I, I can understand that, uh, that bit because you're like, uh, you know, you have a small sample size. It's yep. like when you have a larger sample size of games that you play, then you're like, all right, well. I mean, if you had that feedback after playing 20 games, you're like, I've lost every single time. Yes. You know, because of a specific excellent. thing. That's, and that's good feedback. But if you just lost once, then we need to once, know. Like, well, something's overpowered here. Right. Something you're doing is underpowered. So, yes. Yeah. We need to know that. But, it, like, a couple of them I was watching. I'm like, that is 100% not what happened. Thank you for your playtest. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. I'll be like, goodbye. Okay. Well, goodbye now. But, uh, but playtesting is, is hard. And it actually, people don't realize it can be a, a skill unto itself, too, at least putting in the feedback. Like, I think I've realized yes. like, I, I like playtesting sometimes, but there is a frustration for me when, especially in a digital realm, where I'm like, I don't know, like, I'd, I'd rather just play a game that's done yeah. sometimes yeah. in my spare time rather than an unfinished game because there's, you know, it takes amount of work and effort to, like, to create that good feedback. It's kind of like being an editor. Yeah. You know, like, it's, you, ha- you gotta have good feedback. Like, you have to, like, see the broken bit and then know have a solution for the fix. Right. And I'm, I'm not a good editor, but, um, and I'm not really a good play tester. <laughs> or a good person. I'm not really, really? I'm not really good at anything. <laughs> <laughs> or a good podcast host. I don't think that's good feedback for yourself. Uh, you should be giving yourself more positive feedback. Is it feedback. time for my, my review? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I just did it. Don't let my boss le- Please don't let Nathan hear this podcast. Uh, but, um, I don't remember, and I don't have a good memory because I don't remember what I was <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I no, I, I can play something and I can say, I don't know why, but this doesn't, it feels like this is wrong, mm. which is really exciting for game designers. They love that feedback. Right. When they're like, this just feels it's not just, right. It feels can like Can you this, articulate why? Nope. Nope. Don't nope. know how to fix that, but I just feel like this thing that just happened shouldn't have happened. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I get there's, there's shades of that, but I bet that could also be instructive feedback on an emotional level being like hey this game just didn't make me feel like I had a mastery or I could ever get a mastery and that's something that I think could could uh, be instructive to to game designers or like this game feels like it took way too long like that to me says you have some over complexity going on here and I don't know where to shave that from but I feel like I am taking it's taking my turns taking too long or something like that yes so anyway it's, it's, it is a good skill to be a, a good playtester. Right. And recognize uh, whether you got that But in or not. some cases, I really like to just see newish people play something and mm-hmm. how quickly they picked it up and how quickly they understood the rules and how much fun they were having as I'm watching them play. Yeah, and that, that's just as valuable. The sometimes. nonverbal feedback uh, yep. is probably even more valuable. So that's why it's good having you there. And that is a skill that you, I think, are really good at is uh, uh, empathy in a certain way. Like you know what people are feeling even if they can't. Uh, articulate it. Like right now you are feeling mildly frustrated. 
And your headphones are uncomfortable. <laughs> I take all that back. You are not good. <laughs> I'm not. I'm no, that's actually pretty true. I need to adjust my you headphones. You have an itch on um, the back of your neck right now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Did you just cast a spell? Diarrhea. Diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And that is why you tune into Dragon Talk. And for all of those uh, callbacks. We will just uh, change it, the name to Potty Talk. Speaking of potty humor <laughs> and uh, callbacks that comedians use, let's go talk to some two comedians. Let's do it. Let's talk to people who are genuinely funny. And way funnier. <laughs> Uh, in uh, in an interview form. So let's go talk to Dan Telfer and Blaine Kampach from Nerd, Nerd Poker. Poker. Uh, welcome, Dan Telfer and Blaine Kampach. How's it going? Hey. Did, Hi. I, pro- did I pronounce Kampach correctly? You did. Oh, sweet. Yeah. yeah. It's it's also it's also it's a very sweet name. It's it a is great a name. Very sweet name. It makes me want to say Kapow. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, it used to be Capaccio, but it was misspelled in the in the mines of central Pennsylvania when my grandfather worked there. Didn't we oh. say that? Didn't we before? Yeah, like, Capaccio or, or Gaspaccio. You've heard all those jokes, and I apologize in advance. Oh, I usually get cabbage, cabbage patch, Comanche cow patch. Whoa, Apache. Well, we weren't also, nearly uh, as creative as we thought. Miami. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> well, welcome. Uh, and uh, you guys uh, just started a brand new campaign uh, on the Nerd Poker podcast. Yes. How it's d- our third of the reboot, fifth overall campaign. How did how has been the reception so far? That went up on uh, Tuesday, so about four days, three days before this interview? As far as I can tell, not a lot of complaints. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's both fun and terrifying to start all over. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the thing of D&D campaigns, though, right? Like, you know, that's a very uh, common occurrence, I guess, in home games, uh, right? But I don't think anybody has done it five times like you have, uh, have, have done. No, uh, this podcast has been around seven years. Oh, so you, we were, you know, we were just saying before that you guys were kind of pioneers of this whole D&D podcasting thing. It's a little terrifying because it started as a as like a comedy podcast with some D and D in there, and and these guys, you know, I was I was telling Blaine earlier, I'm like the shemp of nerd poker. I came in after they've been doing it for a while, and uh, I, I prefer shemp. Well, <laughs> very nice. Hair. You know what they say is Pepsi okay? I go yeah yeah. How about shemp? Yeah. <laughs> shemp and Pepsi. I'm the Mister Pib of this soda machine. If, if he was RC, we, this conversation would be over. Right. <laughs> it's true. But yeah, like, uh, it, 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 comedy was, like, the focus. And it's really funny how, since this podcast started, all these phrases like real play and actual play have started, like, showing up that didn't really exist when the podcast started. And, right. like, we get compared to a lot of standards that have, like, evolved and become concrete, like, while we were off doing dumb jokes. So it's, like... <laughs> Now, now, what's insane. what's real play? Uh, I guess real play would be uh, just put on a camera and just see people playing, you know, with no real thought to the the extreme and entertainment value of it. Is there editing in context? The real play? Yeah. Okay. So it's just it's just watching people cold, right? And all and then all play is what? Sorry, these are. Are we all players at actual play? I don't know what we are. I don't know. I don't know exactly. I don't know. Maybe we need to have like a a determined, you know, like what are the definitions for these for these terms? Because I kind of use them interchangeably too. Yeah, I feel like those two are the same. 
I know I was telling Greg over email a couple weeks ago, like I find it really confusing how people keep referring to our campaigns as arcs. That's that I think came with the adventure zone guys. And like, I, I, it sounds very presumptuous. Like when you say arc, it sounds like, Oh, these characters will definitely live. Like we would never kill these characters. And that seems very like the antithesis of Dungeons and Dragons to me. Like if there's no sense, your character could explode into a thousand blood molecules from one bad dice roll. It doesn't really feel like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. It feels like, like there's already a predetermined story. Like, you know, right. but you in D&D, you don't always know. Like, you can have no, a, a guide, I but... Kinda, I try to cook up story out. elements and then let these guys actually guide the story. I don't. I, I try to cook up characters and places and give them as much detail as I can and then fill in, you know, like, I think this is what everybody really does. Like, you get you fill in the finer details as they approach it. So, like, if you know the session coming up, they're near all these things, you spend a couple days writing about those things and giving them numbers... But I don't go like, oh, this character has to show up at this point, yeah. or, or like this is this. I will force them to have a stake in this thing. I let them decide. That's all Dragon's that. Lair, not Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. For gosh sake! Oh, Dragon's <laughs> Lair, man. Use your imagination. <laughs> gosh, that laser disc game, Dragon's Lair. <laughs> Never was able to get past like screen two. Think. Dink. It would make that dink sound, then you knew when you were supposed to. It, it was. It, it's a, a a game on rails. is no fun. It's fun to watch, but yeah, you know, it's, it's it might as well be. It's a small world. It feels less exactly. like a game. It feels more like you're just a you're you're in radio theater. I would think. Right. Which yeah. I don't have anything yeah. against, but uh, and I think the arc that type of language is better in hindsight when you're like, okay, well, they've you know this the, these characters have gone through you know, uh, a significant enough change where you can be like, all right, well, this is kind of like that chapter. But you don't know that as a Dungeon Master or a player, you know, even while you're in it. Or even like even the penultimate episode, you might not even know it. Yeah, and like these guys just played characters for two and a half years. And I was like, you know, in real life, that's about how long a character ought to live. I mean, like I get that like uh, Joe Manganiello's had his little Arcan boy running around hell for like a decade and a half. But um, right. But even him, he's got other characters that he pulls out when he's like, ah, I'm bored with Arcan. Let's go do something else. He's a big enough celebrity where he can just go do a drop in eight hour session any day of the week and get all that sweet experience points. You know? Man, I want to I want to do that. I want to just be able to be like, I'm playing on this on Monday and that I on feel Thursday. Like you could. Yeah. I, all right, I gotta schedule it out. You know, I, yeah. a, lot, a lot of people compare me to Joe Manganello, and they, they go, you know, Blaine, what is it about you, you that's so Manganello-ish? Heck, <laughs> is it? Yeah, is it the packs? It's probably is the it, packs. Uh, is it the film career? Is it the uh, the hot wife? What, what is it, Blaine? And I go, hey, you know what? No comment. (laughs) I don't want to talk about myself or bring Joe Manganiello into it. (laughs) He probably gets sick of the comparisons, too. I know. He's like, why are they always comparing me to Blaine? (laughs) I know. It's... I'm just glad that my wife has Aquaman to kick around now. and Joe Manganiello is out of the picture. That's right. He's kind of jumped off under the Jason Momoa thing. I just was rewatching Game of Thrones the first season, so I'm going back on that train too. I think. Oh, that's right. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Poor, yeah. poor, poor Drogo. I, I don't think he survives. Yeah. Uh, Spoiler alert. Do you have? Do you have a, just like a weird sense that? I have a weird sense that something's going to go wrong. Nah. From me reading the books 20 years ago. <laughs> what could possibly harm those giant almond-like pectoral muscles? Exactly. They wouldn't kill any of those characters. I know that's silly. Yeah, that's, that's dumb. That's silly. I mean, that's Sean Bean is a consummate actor. Why would you fire him? Right? It's kind of it's like, like he's a had D&D a tragic campaign. death in every role he's ever played. <laughs> now, when yeah. he was a Bond villain, it was like this is not going to go well for that guy. For England, James. 
006. How about uh, or or John Ford Coley? Oh, I'm sorry, Eng- that's England Dan. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, are we still are we still working without sound? <laughs> the sound isn't working. I feel like that was like a Russian nesting doll of references that I unraveled. <laughs> that's Blaine. Listen, I just ate a poquito moss and then walked back here really fast in the sun. It was really, it was really cold last night, and then today it's like super hot. Oh man, you guys, Los Angeles in January, thirty degrees at night, hundred degrees in the midday. It's like Seattle in the summer. Yeah, it's like a desert. It is a desert. Well, I just ate a can of beans before this interview, so. (laughs) Oh, sweet Hormel or Trader Joe's? Uh, uh, the um, Kroger generic brand. Oh man, that it's like that's like the RC cola of beans. Yeah, it is. You can get a four pack for three dollars and twenty five cents. <laughs> You're definitely not gonna get a six pack of it. No. Oh, we'll be right we, back. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rushing uh, uh, doll lying there in the parking lot with a bottle in its hand. Um, oh my gosh. So uh, uh, going back to the podcast, uh, <laughs> Blaine, you started so you were in the original uh, Cast makeup? Yeah, well, this game kind of came out of a campaign that we played for years and years and mm-hmm. years. It was, uh, it started out, out, it was Brian Posehn, me, Patton Oswalt, Jerry Duggan, Ken Daly, uh, Chris Hardwick was in there. And, uh, and we would just play for fun. We would usually play on Sundays from noon till five or six for years and years and years. And we had very uh, supportive, uh, significant others. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just sort of, we just had, it just went through so many incarnations and everybody wanted to get it on the air somehow. And I, I think Brian just said, let's just call it nerd poker. Cause that's what it is. It's just nerds playing poker. It's a poker game. Right. Yeah. You know, so you're, you're playing a game and you're talking about other stuff and the game is kind of incidental or, or it's completely eclipsing everything else. But, uh, and so I guess we went on to Earwolf. First, I don't really. Rem- yes. I don't re- really remember too much. About I remember. Uh, and I don't uh, smoke. I don't smoke the marijuana drugs like some people. <laughs> but, but, but what the who? Uh, I'll never be senator. Uh, our our uh, our dungeon master was Sark. This guy Scott Robeson, uh, the legendary Sark, and he was such an, an absolute fantastic dungeon master. Mm-hmm. We had met him at a party. I guess before we started playing, he was just a friend of a friend, and he told us a story about how he had a. Uh, Gotten rid of all his gaming stuff when he was a kid. All his old games, his Gamma World, his oh, Top Secret, his Blue Hills and stuff. I know where this story is going. And yeah. It's an amazing story. And he, uh, he, got, his, uh, he got his old D&D box back. Or he, bought, he went online and bought yeah. this D&D set. And Off of like eBay. Just like he just was a random guy. He just was like, oh, you know, because I lost all my gaming stuff, I'm just going to randomly go on eBay and just buy. Start buying my collection back. Wow. Whatever I got rid of. Now and I know where this story is going. Yeah, he got yeah, it in the mail exactly. and he little just, there. just opens it up and like the just like the weird smell clicked and then he uh, flips through it and all his characters were at the bottom of the box. No way! No. What? But he's such a yeah, uh, like the book. Crazy. He bought he bought back his second edition book and it had all his old notes in it. He thought he was just buying a an anonymous second edition book. Wow! Off I mean, if you That's love something, crazy. set it free into the world. It's and his. It, it it's came his. back to him. <laughs> That's amazing. That is. That's yeah, not Sark where I thought great. We would play over at his house, like before the podcast even started. We would go over there and eat Kentucky Fried Chicken like animals. And Patton would bring these like nine thousand dollar cupcakes, and we'd all get sick. <laughs> Magnolia, uh, yeah. but it was a lot of fun. It was you know Brian was always a barbarian, and I was always an elf, and Ken was always some weirdo, and 
it, it just it, most of that tradition has continued. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now we figured out a way to monetize it. Yeah, ka-ching. <laughs> synergize. But really, like, how <laughs> did you guys? Like it's a great excuse to keep playing games like children. Yeah, I mean, right. I've, been, I've been playing since I was what, like, fourteen, and I'm fifty-three years old. It's like, like a was, job now. Yeah, it's great. If I went back in time and and could tell myself that I would be playing Dungeons and Dragons professionally <laughs> in my fifties, I would probably help the jocks pants me. Mm. You're like that <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Stuff your own self in a locker. Um, but really, how did you guys come up with the concept of like, let's broadcast this? People will want to hear us to play D and D. A lot of it had to do with just how famous Brian was. I mean, he you know, was uh, a writer and star of Mr. Show, the sketch show in the the 90s. And a lot of it had to do with comedy kind of being one of the big uh, boons of podcasting. So, Mm. you know, like when these guys started, uh, most podcasts were comedy, as far as I could tell. They were either super nerdy in non-comedic ways or they were comedic. And Earwolf, as far as I know, was one of the first, if not like the first podcast network that I, at least the first I've ever heard of. And they were Me too. sort of uh, co-created by Scott Aukerman, who was also a writer and cast member on Mr. Show. And so they were really good friends, Brian and Scott. He and, is Comedy Bang Bang. Yeah, yeah. he's Comedy Bang Bang host. Um, he writes for a bunch of award shows and uh, he wanted to start just a comedy podcast network. And so, yeah, like it came from just Brian being like an obvious choice to ask to host something. Yeah, everybody knew that we had this game going on. Mm-hmm. And I think people, like Dan said, hey, Brian's kind of famous. We can maybe kind of roll this into, into a little attention. But uh, uh, I think we kind of didn't do it for the longest time because we thought that it would just sort of turn it into a drag instead of a game. Has but, that, did uh, that happen? I mean, what, 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 how did you, what things did you do to, to make sure that you didn't you know, make it feel like it was uh, a job a or job, a drag? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I don't think it ever did feel like a job. Yeah. It was always it was always fun. It was it got really hard because a lot of us had. I mean, I have a, a a little boy now that I didn't have when we started any of these campaigns, and Sark had to stop dungeon mastering because he had two kids. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Gazzardo took a break for a couple of years and had two kids, and now she's back. Mm-hmm. But you know, and Brian's got his kid. It, it's I have two kids. I could leave at any moment. It's. <laughs> Yeah, everybody has to juggle these these adult schedules. The whole time, and by comedy, oh. I mean like friends bullshitting. Like that, it, like yeah. like when I'm dungeon mastering, I know very very much that like I might accidentally talk over a joke but if i if i can listen to the joke happen and not step on the joke just to make a game happen that's the better call like we we have people listening and and i take that to be like a huge gift mm. you know like I, I why 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 bother uh doing a thing that has comedy attached to it if the comedy isn't as as fun as possible and these guys are all super naturally funny and uh I, I, I enjoy being the straight man on the podcast right now as much as I like being funny and playing characters and stuff. It's straight man is the hardest part. It is. Yep. It's most fun. I'm that Smothers. <laughs> <laughs> How did your game you group... like Smothers? It's got to be good. Oh, I'm thinking of um, Jelly. That was good. How did your your game group originally? I know you guys have said you said you've been playing together for years, but 
How did you originally? Because you started playing as adults. Mm. It was it was a Halo. How did it, group, how did it start? Well, I think Halo Jerry group. and Jerry and uh, and Ken and Sark, they knew each other from Halo, and they would play video games. And okay. Stuff. Everybody was sort of connected that way a little bit. Yeah. And then uh, uh, everybody who played D and D knew every, who knew the other people who played D and D. So when the game started, it, it was just sort of like the beginning of gumball rallies. Gumball, gumball, gumball. Everybody would just everybody knew who was going to play. So it just it came together very organically and very quietly. So uh, that's cool. That's really cool. And I think you know, I mean, obviously having the time to be able to do that is important for adults as well as kids. Yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, there was a point when. We were always, it's, it hasn't even worn off yet, but there's still that moment where it's like, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons every week for years. How did, how did we do this? <laughs> right. Who do we owe what? Because there was a point when we were, uh, we were playing over at Hardwick's office. And he had this nice office and we would go in there on Sunday afternoons. We would all bring food. We sat at a huge conference table like we were a Klingon tribal thing or whatever. <laughs> And it was like, how would... And that was when, like 10, 12 years ago, too. Yeah, it's like when we... Even then, we were in our 40s or whatever, but it was like, when is somebody going to come out with a hook mm-hmm. and stop this? But it <laughs> right. was... It always, it always worked out. It was always fun. Well, I think, I mean, that's... I mean, you guys pointed to a little bit of, of, of the change of the times, in a way, and how these uh, type of, uh, you know, podcasts and, and video streams out there are, are more prevalent. But, you know, I, I think it's something that is really important for adult you know, not necessarily males, but like adult people in general to make time in your week for play. Yes. For, for being able to get together with your friends, do something social face to face, especially with, you know, the amount of screens, you know, I've got like six of them pointed at me right now. Uh, (laughs) But like, you know, there's something really great about having that face to face connection. And you guys just happen to be, uh, uh, you know, preternaturally funny. So it makes it all entertaining as it's happening. But even without the microphones and the cameras on, I think it's really important. I think that that idea about Dungeons and Dragons being that thing that brings people together is the the thing that has changed over the last five or ten years. Well, that's that's very true. I mean, I remember this this podcast was going on for a while, and we would be doing shows at like the Meltdown on Sunset Boulevard, which, which was like the comic book shop that had all the shows in the back. Yeah, and. Uh, and more and more you would go into Meltdown and I would see like sign-up sheets for D&D games and you would start hearing about more people getting D&D games together. And people were always contacting us online going, hey, we're listening to the podcast. We're going to start our own group. Right. So it was, I mean, it certainly wasn't because of us, but we happened to be already kind of doing it when this renaissance for Dungeons and Dragons became started to happen where it became acceptable and fun and People started to discover it again. I mean, it never really went away, but people started going, hey, we could play D&D. Why are we not playing D&D? So more people started doing that, I think, which was, uh, uh, and then it just, it really did explode over like a year or two. There was a point when it went from zero to everyone. Yeah, for sure. uh, Yeah, and no complaints. More people playing, the better. So you guys played, you started playing when you were kids, teenagers? Yeah, yeah. I was was probably... uh, I was just telling is like uh, when second edition came out is when I first really played the complete book of elves and the complete book of fighters and all those. I, used to, I had, I, uh, my favorite book was the, the monster manual, the, the, mm. the monsters manual. I would just, I would, I would try to memorize everything. I remember there was, I think it might've even been third edition when there was a book that came out of like, it was like additional monsters. I think it was called, 
what was it called? It's something... Scene Folio. It's something like that, right? But it had Monster in the title, and um, it was just like... It didn't have as many character blocks as it just had, like, lore and... And it was like, like I, that's where I, I started falling in love with like random drow gods mm. who, who like were in this insane pantheon. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I love, I love, I loved, uh, I loved it for around. And when did you? What was? Were you pre eighty eight? Can you beat eighty eight? Oh yeah, yeah. Because you were fourteen, you said. So do yeah, the I math. Was, I was playing seventies, <laughs> seventy nine or eighty. Dang. Because I graduated from high school. <laughs> and I was playing with those guys in ninth grade. Dang. And it was like they had started playing. My friends started playing a group in my neighborhood and my friend Dave Bailey uh, had to dungeon master that night. So they had me drive his wizard Estariol. <laughs> I had never played before and I was just sitting there. I have, had such a blast and I was like, uh, okay, this guy's going to attack you. What do you want to do? And I go, I'll attack, I'll attack him with my dagger and Date would just start sweating. No, don't! You're gonna get me killed. <laughs> <laughs> made out of like balsa wood. Yeah, because you had like one spell that you could cast at that time, and you're like, I'm not gonna use that. Yeah, I'll, I'll attack him with a. What do I have? A pan? I, can I get a pan? <laughs> uh, watching him just blanch. But uh, and then that night I was just hooked, and then it was just me walking around high school with my books for the rest of the rest of time. And then I would. I also played like. Traveler, I was a huge traveler mm. guy, uh, and I would run those campaigns. And then my friends and I would all like rotate and stuff. But I had it was it was much smaller back then. It was like it was back in the days where uh, if people heard that I played Dungeons and Dragons, I would get punched. <laughs> oh, right yeah. now, people are like high, high fives. Right, nice. Now they're all trying yeah. to play now with I'm you. getting high fives from the people that would punch me. <laughs> The exact same people. They're like, I'm sorry, I punched you. <laughs> Can I get people your D and D game nerds, now? They, they don't remember that they beat up nerds. They that's don't true. have they don't have long term memory. So that's very true. Yeah. Um. And I'm I'm very happy that that's all changed. But uh, uh, what about uh this new campaign? Like, what what is exciting about playing the new character? I love that you remembered this the wizard of this uh of this oh uh, Astariel. Astariel. That's a great name, by the way. You know, way. and I'm, I'm hoping it's a great '70s wizard's name. It is. Uh. What's your, I'm, what's your I'm new a, character? I'm playing an I'm playing a druid. I've never played a druid Ooh. before. I've played druid, so I'm playing Doctor Uwid. Doctor Uwid the druid. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sort of a professor. I lost my tenure after a, something went wrong in the lab and gave me strange powers. Now I live in the woods, and I just want to get my tenure back. <laughs> my tenure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just you know, it's either that or play play a hippie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, kind of the same. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to like talk over Dan. Uh, uh, we were talking about something earlier. I think the, the hard part when you're trying to come up with a new campaign, I think the worst part is like you try to think up this character and then you go, oh, he'll be like this. Oh, and then he'll do this. No, I'll have him be this kind of guy. And then the second you start playing, you find out who that person is. Mm. And that person might not have anything to do with the way you out- outfitted him or the spells that you picked or whatever. But I think that's the most fun of a new campaign is finding out who this character turns into. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're we're trying something. Uh, it feels like, like what we set up was exactly like the last couple of times. I mean, like I, in in most ways, it, it feels like we are just trying to stick with what's worked. But um, I like a couple of happy accidents. Like three of the five party members happen to be different kinds of half elves. Um, 
And that includes uh, Brian, who is, as far as I know, never played. He's never played at Alfie. He always anything plays a giant guy that hits things. So he's he's being like a super metal emo goth gloom stalker ranger. He's nice. like if Chris Angel if Chris Angel was actually, <laughs> yeah, uh, mind elf. <laughs> and he's a half drow, which I loved. I, I was like Brian, really? He was like, yeah, and so, <laughs> it's uh, metal. <laughs> Uh, and, um, and, you know, Sarah is a half sun elf and like all, all three of these guys elves are so different from each other that it was kind of like on paper. Sure. Having three half elves sounds like it might be boring, but they, uh, like Blaine is obviously completely deranged, um, both in real life and in this game, his character <laughs> has been living in the woods so long. He's half wood elf and he's just, uh, his hair. Wood elf. It, what else? His, uh, I don't think he would. Are made of moss. His his arm hair is watercress, uh, and he he's just he's a mess. And then you've got the goth guy, the sun elf that Sarah plays is a tempest cleric who uh, she's like a Robin Hood sailor type. I mean, like they're very different. And um, the other two are a mechanical man and an aracocra. So oh, it, I, nice. The party mechanics are great, um, and. Blaine is doing a lot of uh, very intense role playing, as you have noticed. Uh, he has Doctor Uid's voice down, and he's he's already just yelled at people and freaked out. And he's got this uh, character flaw where doing any magic uh, is like a charisma saving throw for him. So he has to. Look. <laughs> it hurts when I spell. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah. Some people have secrets going into this one. A couple of uh, our players were, were like, hey, what if I had all this insane stuff in my backstory? And I was like, that is not a problem for me. <laughs> that sounds good. As long as I can use it. Which most people probably do when they play Dungeons & Dragons. But, you know, because we put comedy first, I think that'll be a fun element that will slowly unfold. And um, I'm obsessed with maps. So I had this nice. guy, Sean Bryant, who does uh, concept art for, like, DreamWorks. And a bunch of people do this map. Um and so in the first episode of the campaign, a comet hits the planet and blows two giant holes in the continent. And then they got a map and they try, had to, after being frozen in ice for 10 years, had to try to remember uh, parts of the map. Uh, oh. So uh, that's, that's about where we are so far. Um, and uh, it's how do you, fun. How do you guys uh, like produce it? Because I remember I was asking like, oh, and you were like, I don't know. It could, who knows? Like, are you guys doing like a session a week still and then just putting that up uh, the following week? We do like two sessions every two weeks. So we release them, uh, one episode a week. We're, like Blaine was saying, we have kids and, and, uh, and day jobs and such. And so, you know, we'll sit down for two hours. I mean, it, it feels weird to play for only two hours. I assume most yeah. people... Like when I was a kid in, in college and, or whatever and I would try to play, it would be like you show up at your friend's house at 11 a.m., you start playing while you order pizza for lunch, you play for five hours, you order your second pizza for dinner, <laughs> yeah. and then you finish around whenever everyone gets sleepy. Like uh, Stranger so, Things style. Yep. Yeah. Marathon sessions. So, you know, we, we, try, we, we play two hours in an evening and then record, or, or release uh, one of those hours each week. Yeah, we're, we're exhausted. Yeah, <laughs> we're elderly people. Yeah, it's like Brian, kids. Oh. Kids are exhausting. Yeah, between between the first hour and the second hour, Brian's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go tuck my kid in and <laughs> those off vaping." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, like uh, 
we we do have bonus we do also do bonus episodes twice a month um on top of that uh, and we like joe manganello has been on a couple of times we, Ooh, joe manganello you guys like abs right check this out have, <laughs> that's where all the comparisons started uh but we have all our comedy friends on writer friends musician friends we've had scotty and from anthrax on and oh, friend oh my from, god uh, apocalypse and we had uh, dana gould on last night yeah oh, those nice. people simpsons yes very Legendary. cool so what's that like uh, integrating guests, especially ones that may not? I mean, I'm sure all the people you you uh, uh, listed just now are D and D fans through and through. But like, what does it feel like? Yeah, Dan Dana's never played D and D before, and last night he was a half snake guy. Yeah, he was a Yanti pure blood sorcerer. Ooh. Oh wow! Yeah, so it was just like a. Uh, it, it's like if if you've never been on a Segway, have you ever you've ridden a Segway, right? I have I never have. ridden have. a Segway. Get on if you. Never been on a Segway. You get on a Segway, and then for a second, you go, and then you balance perfectly, and you go, okay, I get it. Right. And then you're tooling around. That's what D&D is like. People go, I don't know what you're talking about. How do you win? How do you right, win? Right, right. Where's the board? Are there crayons? What are the dice? <laughs> I just sit there and watch for five minutes. Right. And then you, five minutes later, it's like, oh, okay, I know exactly what's And you put happening. the comedy yeah. first, so they're allowed to make fun of it the entire, like, you know, like, like as you... As I was describing the the lost city of Omu to Dana Gould, I'm hyper aware that I'm describing an, an imaginary jungle castle to a legendary comedy writer, and it would behoove me to not be precious about the jungle castle. <laughs> You're like broad strokes. Advice. That's pretty yeah. good advice. Yeah, like you know, like you 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 kind of ease into it a little bit. Um, so he was he was alarmed at how. And how nerdy it actually was. Yeah, but he, but it was my favorite part was there was a couple of times where he was casting lightning bolt. He got to take two fistfuls of d6s, and you could just see when he rolled low, it, he was emotionally devastated. Like even though he, <laughs> was, like he rolled like a five on six d6. <laughs> what? He rolled, he rolled eight d6, and he basically got a five. <laughs> like, oh. which Possible, that's like yeah. emotionally devastating me. Yeah. Like, that's real low. Yeah. And uh, you just, it was so great because he went from making fun of us to having stakes in it and was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. got mad at the dice. That's, yeah. I, I like that. Yep. That's how, it, that's how it works. As soon as you start rolling dice, it does definitely feel like you're, yep. you're, you're invested. So, yep. Good job I got on you guys. Dice for this game, and uh, I'm not sure if I like any of them. I always try to get new dice for a game. I think I'd burn them all out on a campaign. You, but all our all our dice are rolling. We were rolling so bad last night. Botchtastic. Luckily, it was a bonus episode, so it just meant that you you almost got characters killed that could come back to life, and it was we're not worrying too much about canon or anything like that. It's just a bad dream. Do you guys exactly. do the 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 dice jail thing or meltdown dice that uh, have plagued you? Uh. Any metal no. rituals? Uh, I, mean, I'm lucky. I don't have a character per se. So, I, what, what do you? What, do, do, what, do you have any current? Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, jinxes you got to work off or supernatural? <laughs> I usually, I used to do it a lot. Is before every game, I'll roll all my dice until they all hit the highest number, and then set them aside. Keep rolling until they're all the highest, and then when that's over, I'll do it all until they all come up one. Oh, oh, it's, uh, Just get it out of their system. Yeah, and then I and then I cut myself to feel something. Anything <laughs> with the today. dice shards uh, <laughs> after you've smashed them. Yeah, I love uh, I love dice. I got a three sided at Comic Con. Wow, bizarre, but I love it. I love the weird like seven sided die and and you know odd numbers. 
I want to get those uh, level up dice where you need a black light to read the numbers on them. That seems Ooh. way over the top, but I'm into it. Very you practical. Can, if they have dandruff when they go to a party. I know. I was just going to say, <laughs> the, beware what the black light I know. reveals. In your D&D games. Ugh. You're like, what is? what are these splotches all over What's the table? This looks like the bedspread. It is that Brian's house. Yeah. Down <laughs> ah, nice. So, no when you guys are, when you're starting a new campaign, do you, so you're saying that, you know, there's the three half elves in this campaign. Does, does that inform how you're going to run your campaign, Dan, or is it kind of vice versa? You tell them like, here's where we are. Here's what is about to happen. Go create characters. I built out a continent where like, no matter what race they picked, we would work in somehow how they got there. And, um, you know, uh, like Blaine said, he wanted his character to have worked at Half Elf University. <laughs> and he old one to you. And he's completely uh, mentally um, uh, broken. So, <laughs> like, I had tenure, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I already I love this guy. For it. I worked hard for it. All I have it's all gone. Make Half Elf University exist on some level and it's it, it'll you know like, not just online but <laughs> a couple of the characters have backstories that could intersect without them knowing it and i like playing a couple of uh those cards as as long as possible like waiting holding them um and uh uh, I mean, yeah, this is, I, I, when it comes to character creation, I just try to stay out of the way as much as possible and just encourage them to come up with as much as possible, um, especially for the main campaign. It's not like Dana Gould where he was like, can you just make a character for me? And then we're on the air. And I'm like, can you name that character, Dana? So you have a little bit of a stake in it. And, and he, <laughs> he named Nipsey. Um, but uh, <laughs> like that's, that's stakes. Yep. But these guys all know, like if they if they put thought into it, it'll be more fun for them. Yeah. And, and Blaine is uh, Blaine is uh, frightening me with how funny he is with this in- intensity. Yeah, shit. yeah. So I, I, right. Keep going. Uh, keep going. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Blaine sucks now that I have his money. Um, <laughs> big bills. What are you doing? Get, giving me a, even pretend. Hey, uh, I, I'm a I'm a father in my fifties. I got to flash a wad when I get down to the Moose Lodge. <laughs> You can't just flash your lot. What camera am I in? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, yeah, it's just an Elks. It's got a hard K in it. If you ever want to run a campaign and actually worry about that stuff, I say great, but why not just, I mean, I just like maps. That helps me. I just drew a map that has a lot of secret locations on it. And then I gave them one with no names on it that they had to fill themselves like by rolling history checks and stuff. So like that way, there's a city for every race already planned out. Yeah, I can sure. tell them that's where they're from, and then maybe they remember the other locations, but maybe they don't because they don't travel enough. And um, and you know, it's it's easy. Just it's I, mean, I can't recommend maps enough. Just make your maps. Everybody. I know maps are always my portal into any kind of fantasy world, whether it was you know Lord of the Rings and Tolkien or or any fantasy novel. I'm always like, whoa, yeah, it, what's happening there? What's happening there? I don't even know what this is. They haven't mentioned it yet, but I want to find out more about it. For me, the best part is is geographical stuff and improvising characters stuff so uh that way if i invest all my writing energy into that these guys i think i can let them totally control the story and not worry about if i've created anything myself or if i'm having fun because i've already done that and i get to i get to tell them when they stumble on treasure that i've been sitting on for a while in secret i can tell them when they found a new location that i've been sitting on for a while in secret and that's my exciting 
part. Um, it's really weird when you run a campaign in front of an audience because I, uh, the, the feedback you get from people on social media is really intense. And it's, it's, it's still surprising me how many people don't understand the choice aspect of Dungeons and Dragons. They really do think you plan everything in advance. And, um, it's like a choose your own adventure for reals. For reals, for real. <laughs> More than Bandersnatch, that's for sure. Where hey, like, so, you know, there's a choose your own adventure yeah. company out there then. You can't say that. You got you got trademark. Uh, choose your own adventure. It's pick your path is what we use. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 sorry, sorry. Oh, you know what? I, I was sort of using it as the uh, as the way people say Kleenex instead of tissue. That's the all right. You're protected then. You're good. Yeah, it's just sort of dropped into the vernacular. It's a game of Xerox, is what I meant. To say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, I was thinking I, that too. It, it, I do. I do really like how they guide the story by where they go because because. Yeah. Yeah, I but but it's funny how often people will tweet at us and be like, "Where were they supposed to go? What oh. was supposed to happen? What was yeah. that character supposed to say?" <laughs> they're always really a- nice, cool people, but you want to be like, "Oh, that's if you've never played D anD D or you want to play D anD D, don't ever as a dungeon master, especially worry about supposed to." Well, that's a really interesting thing that you know. Uh, obviously, the, the the rise of the streaming and the live play stuff that you guys are doing um, kind of lends itself to people thinking about it like episodic television. And that can be really great because people get really invested in these characters, and when they perish, you know, they're, 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 you know, the audience is just as invested as the players are. But it lends to that comparison where people are like, "Well, you have, you know, these arcs planned out, right?" And then that—that's, you know. So, do you think there's? H- how do we reorient the audience so that they know that choice is 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 paramount? We're not we're not making. Uh, you can't prep it like a sitcom. You have to prep it like an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. Yeah. You have to you have to have a bunch of fun improv games, and you have to build out not just corny but interesting props, and mm-hmm. and that's that's all you do. What? You, you know there were uh, there were there was a time when I was dungeon mastering these campaigns, and I would kind of know I I was I had a uh, I'm not like Dan I'm not like a, a real stickler attention to detail guy, but I knew what the world was, and I knew where they were, and when. The, the game would start, I knew what was around them, and so I wouldn't build out, I wouldn't generate any pixels I didn't have to generate, you know what right. I mean? Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't generate a hill in the background if I know that these guys are just going to concentrate on this tavern. Because there, there have been so many times when you've created a castle, and then they go, hey, what's in this room? And they're in that room for three weeks. Yeah. So, you know, you just, uh, 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 I think it's a matter of knowing... Uh, knowing what the players are going to do as, as to what you're going to waste your time on and what you're not going to mm-hmm. waste your time on. And I think also, a good dungeon master... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, also, I mean, when in doubt, add in enough random encounters so they can't get to the city you haven't built yet. <laughs> Something's oh, yeah, always that. in your path. Yeah. And then, oh, they want to go to that city. I got to build that later tonight. Exactly. Or I have time. I have a week before I have to do that. Yeah. But I was just, I, what I was going to say was that like a good dungeon master can make it feel like it's all planned out right. and then everything is, is going according to plan when, as anyone who has dungeon mastered, you're mostly making that stuff up as it goes along. It's just oh, yeah. giving your players the impression that you had it all planned out is, is part of the magic of D&D. We had, a, we had a, a thing during one of the pre-podcast games where Sark was dungeon mastering and we were in a giant underground uh, like a uh, an electrical generator, and these magnets would go by that were the size of boxcars would be going or spinning around in these in these caverns, and 
we took the wrong turn and couldn't get out of the cavern for three months of actual gameplay. We would go over every week for three months and we would try to get out of this goddamn thing. And it was one of those things where it's like, hey, I, I drew this map and you didn't get out. This is how it works. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, uh, uh, there were so many points when he could have just, as the dungeon master said, okay, I'm just going to let him get out. But I guess he just made a choice to say, they're going to die in here with their horses. Oh. How did you, you know, get out? It, 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 it's, I don't even know where that story was going, but it was just an amazing <laughs> story. He, he had, he showed us like months after he showed us a, a bit of the map and it's like, wow, we really messed up. We took one wrong turn and we were in there for three actual months. You, you know, I, I do like to build out a lot of stuff that these guys will never see, but I try to use skills from not just improv, but stand up. Yeah. And one of my favorite things to do with stand up, for instance, is if I've got a joke, I'll do like a free write where I'll just ramble, but you never want to go on stage with a script in stand-up, right? Like you need to like come up with either like just a couple of keywords and say it on your feet or like an outline if it's a really long joke. Like you outline it. Don't script it though. You have to you have to kind of like give yourself a skeleton and then do the details on your feet and you know, uh because you always want to make it feel natural because if you're right. reading a script, people are like, I don't want to watch a monologue. I want to watch this right. person pretending so to I, come I, up with it on their I own. I really like with my campaigns to give myself some things that I'm reading uh, that are description, but I also like to look at these guys and not just at my laptop. I like to look across the table and like make up some of the details as I go based on the expressions on their faces. You know, like how's the tone of this campaign going? Like do yeah. they want to hear more about this or are they more interested in finding a person at this point? So... You just, the part of improv I like the most is not being precious about your ideas and listening. And, yeah, like like if I know they want to go to a city, but it's it's to find treasure, I'm not going to describe the colors of the bricks uh, unless it, it, it'll help them with what they're looking for. You Were know, they yellow? To... Was it yellow bricks <laughs> that led to the city and the treasure and the treasure? <laughs> right, no. right, when are you going to come down, Dan? When are you going to land? <laughs> You should have stayed on the farm. You should have listened to your old man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like I want, I want to make sure that I do have a lot waiting for them wherever they go, and I can stall them if I don't want them to show up. But uh, most of the time, I do like to have um, major plot points happening at once, and in like, so if they're going in one direction, something else is happening off to the side, and that'll sneak up on them, just so I feel like my overactive imagination has some rails, even if they don't. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I'm excited to see where the where the campaign goes now. And yeah, Dr. Uid, I'm very excited, hoping that he gets his tenure back. <laughs> oh! Tenure! Uh, if people uh, uh, want to follow you guys or follow the podcast, what's the best ways? Uh, well, we have our own Patreon page. So if you just look up Nerd Poker on Patreon, I think we're one of the most successful Patreon pages. We're doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Look up Nerd Poker. I mean, you'll find us on all the social media. Uh, we're on Instagram and Twitter and all that jazz. What about you guys personally? Uh, you can follow me, Blaine Capatch, uh, on Twitter, or uh, Blaine Capazach, Calpatch, Comanche, Cabbage. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and if you're in Los Angeles in February, come see me hosting uh, Lucha Vavoom at the Mayan. It's our Valentine's show, uh, Mexican Wrestling and Burlesque. Whoa. Ooh. Legendary Lucha Vavoom. That sounds awesome. Uh, I'm on I'm on uh, all the social media sites. Just look up at Taco Bell and um, ask me about my favorite recipes. Um, my, and his grandchildren. I uh, 
I do stand up also. I, uh, when I'm not being a straight man on uh, this podcast, I, I host a monthly show at the Lyric Hyperion here in LA uh, called The Filling. And in February, the lineup has uh, Deborah DiGiovanni, uh, Jen Kirkman, Ron That's Funches. Cool. It'll be really a fun show. So uh, if anyone's watching is in the LA area, uh, just check it out. It's called The Filling. Is that a, a dentist relating the tentacle? Uh, no pie, man. It's about the pie filling. Oh, uh, wrong filling. I wanted to five one four, man. I wanted I to watch some on. dentist fillings happen. That's yeah. that's pretty funny that's to me. That's very funny. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, you're super funny, and uh, uh, listening to the podcast is one of my oh, my joys. So I can't wait to get back. Oh, to Oh, thanks, it. Greg. And and I should say, uh, you guys have been very supportive in many ways. I, we, yeah, we, thank you for being a return guest. That's right. Oh, that's right. I've been on before. Yeah, yeah good to see you again, Shelley. Yeah. You do. <laughs> Blaine will never see you again. Goodbye. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, 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 oh sorry. Well, I'll, I'll be there in about 10 minutes. I'm pulling up out front. <laughs> I've got your tenure waiting for you right here. Oh, oh my tenure. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you really want to see how it turns out, go uh, watch one through nine year and it'll catch you. <laughs> we'll go do that now. Uh, I cast diarrhea. Well, you'll really never see me. <laughs> All right. Thanks, you guys. Take it easy. Oh, thank you, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> best interview ever i enjoyed uh that interview extensively totally yes funny uh, funny guys i think we laughed um i cried a little i believe you did cry but i thought that was because you were laughing no no those were like tears of sadness <laughs> <laughs> not tears of joy no joy joy all around sparking joy everywhere yep. you walk without having to Fold your, roll up your t-shirts and shove them in a drawer. Exactly. Are you watching that show? The tidying what? up? I am not watching that show. Yeah. Uh, although I support tidying up right. in general. Right. Um, I think, I think we, Aaron and I live our lives a little bit like that. I mean, not to say Tidy? we don't have. Yeah. We definitely are like, get it out of here. And I'll say, like, I don't think we've, we've done the, uh, does this bring you joy anymore you thing. But I do say to our kids being like, you haven't played with this thing in like 3.5 right. years. And that's when they decide. It's out. It's super joyous and their most favorite toy in the world yeah and they're like no get it out and yeah. i think uh, i'm instilling you know that uh that kind of self-editing of stuff i love to do that yeah. that's the kind of editing i am good at see throwing away other people's stuff <laughs> <laughs> not my own it's marie kondo and shelly mazanova right. teaming up no joy yeah you, no heard, joy! you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, thank you again uh, to uh, Dan and Blaine for stopping by. Uh, uh, we really enjoyed that conversation um, and want to let everyone know that you can follow everything about Dungeons and Dragons in a bunch of different ways. What are those ways? Well, there is uh, on Twitter. You can follow uh, Wizards underscore DND there on the Twitters. Okay. On Facebook, we are there as well. Um, and uh, one thing I want to make sure people know about is Dragon Plus. You yes. can download that onto your Android or iOS phone and get bi-monthly updates about what's happening in the world with in-depth um, articles uh, with partners and people who are developing stuff uh, of interest to you. Uh, but I like the artwork, I think, is one of the best parts. The covers. Of, the covers are Love great. Love the covers. Um, the internal uh, artwork uh, is, is fantabulous, and we're always looking at ways to expand that. So uh, check it out. Yep. And uh, there will be a new issue Do in that. February, but there is lots of great ish- back issues available. Uh, as I said, on your phone, uh, the Dragon Plus app, look for it where you get the apps for your phone. But it's also on the web. DragonMag.com. Easy. Easy peasy. Yep. Um, where can people find out about Avalon Hill? You stuff? can go to Avalon Hill 
to number two on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Or uh, <laughs> 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 on <Cha-cha-cha. laughs> <Or at> Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Right. And then you're at Shelly Moo. And I'm at Shelly Moo on the Twitters. And oh. you are at Greg Tito. That's unique. It is. Mm-hmm. I'm the only dude that's got it right now. Right. Anyway. Uh, and then I'm also on Instagram at Greg underscore Tito. Right. I put lots of the pictures up on there, uh, including ones from uh, my recent trip to the state capitol. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I saw those. Good stuff. Look nice. Um, and what about your bachelor recaps? Do you want to point people to you them? You can go to Shelly I haven't really... I'm, you said you had a backlog last time. I do, still, and I still do. Um, so if you want them in a timely manner, don't <laughs> don't expect that. Okay, but but they'll they'll be they'll there. be there. All previous you know ninety five like, seasons are are, are recapped on there. Yeah, right. There's a lot of them. Yeah, I'm I'm just behind on the season. Well, for, I know there's a lot of fans out there that rewatch Bachelor uh, seasons, so you can read your recaps as you're doing mm-hmm. that. <laughs> There's some good ones. I think Ben Higgins as the Bachelor season was one of my best recaps because I hated him. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out if you can. Uh, thanks, everybody. I think uh, that's it. Do you see this, This like, really... What is that? What is that? I don't think you should touch it. What if I just pulled out this one rock? I don't, rock don't and then it, think uh, you should touch... Uh, ow! Oh! Uh, ow! Uh, ow! Uh,